Welcome to Try with Ping. This is Ping Robert, and in this podcast, we will cover a range of different topics from culture, languages, and underrepresented stories. Join me with a cup of chai and listen to these stories. Hi everyone! Welcome back to Chai with Ping. Today we have a very cool guest that he wrote me how like under the tab of how I should introduce you. He said that I'm a facility manager at a laboratory and I'm a resident handyman and enjoys working with cars. I just celebrated my sixth wedding anniversary. Woohoo! And they're also expecting their first child in August. Today I give you my hi. Hello! Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Ping. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you so much for coming to the show, and thank you for sharing your stories today. We're gonna cover、uh, a little bit of your, well, maybe a lot, your upbringing,、uh, being an immigrant, being in a single family、uh, household, and out like the whole process and the journey. So we can just start with my little prompt. What was your family background? Yeah, so when so back in、uh, the '80s, my mother came to America in the early '80s, and、um, she escaped to America because of the war during that time. So her and、uh, my father at the time escaped. They didn't know each other, but they came over at the same time. Where、um, did they come from? So they were from Vietnam, and、uh, during that time, there's a lot of hardships going on, and.、Um, She was an orphan.、Uh, my mother was, and、uh, she grew up an orphan and had to kind of fend off for herself. So in the early '80s, she decided that it was the best to、uh, try to leave Vietnam, and、uh, that was that was when it happened. She fled here to the U.S. on a boat.、Um, I don't know all the details of it.、Um, I just know that she fled here because of all the.、Uh, The wars that were going on, and、uh, she just did not have a lot of money during that time, so she had to do it. That's really hard to imagine. Like in that generation,、um, people kind of flee by boat, or some people might even swing from somewhere to somewhere, and they just want to find a better life in their states. And what happened after that when your mom arrived here in the states?、Um, which state did she arrive in? So she landed in Texas.、Um, I don't know exactly what city. But、uh, that's actually where she ended up meeting my dad, and、um, so when she came to America,、um, she didn't speak speak a, a lick of English.、Um, and she didn't read. She didn't know how to read. She didn't even know how to read Vietnamese. So that shows you what kind of、um, uh, written, you know, how how she was raised up in the orphanage. They didn't teach her how to read. She can read anything. She can read Vietnamese, and she couldn't read English. So when she came to America, she was, you know, obviously illiterate. Um, and、uh, she had to really—I don't know how she did it—but she fought, and somehow、uh, was able to raise me up. It sounds like she's a very she was a very strong woman. I mean,、yeah. I just can't really imagine like she couldn't even read in Vietnamese, and then she came to a foreign country just to fight and to struggle and to survive. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know a lot about her early days in America. I just know if there's from、um, stories that my my aunts and my uncles tell me.、Um, I just know that it was really hard, and、uh, that's actually when she met my dad in the early days. And and obviously in the '85, they ended up having me, and、um, that's when the, the journey started for me, and other hardships started. 
So how many siblings are there in your family? Actually, it's just me. Um, she had me and then uh, she, that, was, that was the last of it. She didn't want to have me more because it was too painful is what she told me. <laughs> yeah. And was there, um, was your dad with her at that time? We so yeah, during that time, my dad was with her. Um, when they had me, they weren't married. Um, it was more so like, yeah, so uh, they, they just liked each other. And then yeah, I was, uh, I was an accident and uh, I was surprised. And, you know, what, what was already something that was pretty hard for her to deal with being in America not knowing English, not knowing how to read, all of a sudden I pop up out of nowhere. Wow. Okay. You're not an accident. You're a wonderful person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why we're thank friends. You. Wait, wait, thank you, Ping. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and then you also told me that she passed away when you were younger. Like, when did she pass away and what happened? Yeah. So in, in middle school, um, she smoked her entire life. You know, from the time she probably was in Vietnam all the way up until the day she died. And uh, she had lung cancer. And, you know, in probably seventh grade, middle school, she just started not feeling really well. And she went to the, the doctor. And that's when, you know, the doctor didn't really know what was going on. She was fatigued all the time and had a hard time with, uh, you know, just lifting things and just kind of actually seeing. So he went to the doctor and the doctor uh, sent her to a specialist. And that's where we found out that she had cancer. And, uh, you know, and actually by that time, she was raising me by herself already. And, you know, being me being, I think, 12 at the time, didn't know what was going on. So um, didn't really know what to think during that time. I just knew that she was sick. So it was it was hard, but I didn't understand the whole scope of things. And um, your dad was with her at that time. Uh, she you no. Know, so actually, when I was, I think, probably five or six, so probably early 90s, um, because they weren't ever really married, my dad was the type of person to not really be faithful, right? And, um, you know, grew up not really understanding that until I got older. But he, you know, he, he, he slept around a lot. And that, my, and then my mom during that time just actually didn't know. And uh, he was always, always going to work, but not really going to work and leaving and not really telling my mom where he was going. So, uh, so during that time, you know, she pretty much raised me by herself. Um, and then I, so, you know, until the day that she died, she raised me by herself. Wow. And I'm curious to know what kind of impact she left on you. She left a pretty, uh, since she was the only person, only parent that I had in my life, it was, it was really hard. You know, I didn't have a father figure growing up. Um, yes, she was hard on me in the, in the sense that, you know, uh, most, like most Asian parents are, they're very strict uh, on certain things um, and very hard-headed when it comes to a lot of things, you know, they're very stuck in their ways. Uh, and then I just, growing up, you know, she was very much that person, that typical uh, Asian parent really wants to instill these ideals into what, how you're supposed to grow up. And, um, you know, at the time when I was growing up, I didn't think that she really loved me and uh, but you know getting up to the middle school years i started to see like how hard she worked she always she worked under the table for a lot of a lot of the money she worked day and night to provide for me she would always buy used clothes for herself and buy new clothes for me which i never appreciated until later on in life and uh, yeah that left a pretty lasting impact uh, especially the day that she died, because that that all came flooding back to me that day when, when she passed, 
and I just had a hard time dealing with it. Tell me a little bit about her um, work situation. What did she do? So uh, she did, you know, a lot of different jobs. She worked um, mainly in restaurants. She most of the time was like in the back doing dishes or doing prep for a lot of restaurants. And later on in life, she, um, at least later on and uh, towards the end of her life, she worked on, uh, for my cousin at their sushi restaurant, you know, doing dishes and stuff like that. So because she didn't really have any, any other skills, you know, she's four foot eight, very short lady, 100 pounds, can't really carry much. So there wasn't a lot of uh, work that she could have done. Um, obviously not being able to speak English very well, not, not being able to read, it made it really tough for her to find jobs, um, you know, in a, in a normal type setting. And I know that she made sure that you went to school and do whatever she can to make sure that you receive um, what a kid are supposed to, uh, to receive. And how was her attitude towards your education? Um, and that, so that's the other thing about, you know, um, being a parent and being an adult with, a, with a, a child and not knowing English, not being able to write, not being able to speak English. Uh, it's hard because, um, kind of funny story, um, like one of the first weeks I think kindergarten happened, she sent me off to school, right? And uh, she didn't know what to send me off with when it came to supplies. She just like, uh, she couldn't read the, uh, the guides, uh, the school you know, curriculum. So she sent me off with like a box of like, you know, pencils and random pieces of paper and a backpack. And the teacher saw what I had and was like, you know, why, why don't you? And I actually, I, I could barely speak English too at that time because I only spoke Vietnamese until that time. But um, it was hard because the teacher had to go to her and tell her, uh, I guess, not really tell her because she didn't understand, but kind of draw pictures and tell her what I might need to bring to school. And also on top of that, she, she would pack my lunches in a way where it was like a donut and like uh, maybe some string cheese or something like that. Nothing like very substantial because she didn't understand that I needed these type of items. Mm. And, and how did you feel about that? Did you, did you realize you were diff from a different family or um, it didn't come to you? It didn't, it, didn't come, it didn't come right away, not until like probably first, second grade. And I don't really remember much of those years, but I just remember that like, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the supplies I needed. Uh, I didn't speak English very well. The kids always made fun of my name because my name is Mai and it's spelled M-I. And uh, a lot of times they said me because <laughs> M, M I in Spanish is me, which is, I under, totally understand. Like now, like later on in my years, I don't care anymore, but um, it, it definitely made, uh, left a la lasting impact on me because, you know, I, as a tiny, tiny kid, you know, kids were, kids are mean. And yes, and uh, they're not they're not very forgiving. Being with a, a single mom, an immigrant mom who didn't speak English, and then also on top of that, being poor mm. didn't help either. Yeah. And being poor was definitely another part of my life that was uh, also really hard on me. Yeah, talk about that. Like, um, how did you realize that you were poor? Uh, the day that well, I guess really the day that uh, the the day that my mom sent me off to school. And uh, she knew how to sew, right? She was great at sewing. So she, up until later on in my life, she made all, all my clothes. So she would say, she would go to like the thrift store, buy old fabric and then piece it together and make pants for me. Um, or 
make shirts for me. And I didn't think I was weird up until kids started making fun of me for like wearing these weird shapes and weird uh, designs on my clothes. And uh, that was when I, f- I realized that, hey, I might not be the same as the other kids who have more money. And so when people are commenting on you, besides that kind of thinking like, oh, well, I could be different. What did, how did you feel? Pretty sad, you know. Um, well, on top of that, I was a chubby kid too. So I was <laughs> a chubby kid who wore, you know, clothes that were were homemade. I didn't have the right supplies. I didn't have the right food to bring to school. So it it dawned on me pretty quickly that I wasn't the same as the other kids um, who had, um, you know, clothes that they bought from the store. And then early on, I got bullied pretty, pretty early. Were were you bullied because of your, your race or your um, socioeconomic status? Probably a combination of all that. Uh, Just my race and my social you know, economics, just like uh, being poor didn't help in, in any way at all. I was and already on top of that, I grew up, we grew up, uh, I, the, the area that I grew up in was, I guess, East Aurora. And that's kind of, when it, when it comes to the ghetto or the poor neighborhood in Colorado, that is where the poor neighborhoods are, you know? So we were already in a poor neighborhood as it is, and I was even more poor than that. Yeah, that's just our irony because like, <laughs> yeah. I, I came here and I get to know like different uh, social economic status and the property rates and all that, that can actually contribute to schools and all that. So then from your story, I hear, hear that your classmates or schoolmates might not be wealthy either. However, yeah. you're just poorer than the poor. Than they are. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because, you know, the, these poor kids, they're already poor, but they would always show off these new shoes that they got from like Kmart or Walmart, right? And they're like not exactly the most high-end brands, but when it when it came to comparing shoes, comparing new things, I was wearing clothes that my mom made, so it's obviously they're gonna always have the better quality stuff that my mom had. So after they, your schoolmates say the things like you have weird clothes or your your clothes are different than theirs. How would you react? Did you bring it back to mom or you just kind of hide it? I would probably hide it a little bit just because uh, my mom being stubborn and being a uh, typical Asian parent, you know, emotion, being emotional wasn't, uh, wasn't something that you were allowed to do. Uh, you weren't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to really have my own feelings sometimes. I felt like at least growing up just because, you know, if I complained about anything, my mom would end up getting upset with me in one way or another. And she would, uh, obviously, she would make all my clothes and do all this. So she would say that, oh, hey, I've, I've done all this for you. You know, I've made your clothes. I do, I do everything for you. And then you go complain about all the things that I do for you. So that, that didn't feel good. So I always kept my feelings to myself. I wonder, because you also mentioned that she never really, she's like, as a typical Asian parent, probably mm-hmm. never said that she loves you. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. so a little bit, a story about that one was, uh, I think when I was second, third grade, my, I did, I had done something. I, I was your typical boy, you know, always got into trouble, would always do stupid things. And I think I did something where I, my, my mom ended up, uh, I guess, disciplining me, uh, you know, uh, using like a bamboo stick or something like that, and just kind of hitting my butt. And, you know, she ended up, uh, I got so upset and I, I was crying so much. And I was like, why do you hate me? Like, why do you hate me so much? And then she said, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I just want you to understand, like, 
you know, I've done so much for you and you always disobey me type of thing. And she wasn't too fond of that, but she said that she did love me. And that was, I feel like that was the only time ever in my life that I heard her say anything towards, uh, you know, towards loving me. And that was pretty much it. And then the rest of my life, I never heard anything else like that. And it was not even like, I love you. It's like, it's for your own good. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. There must be like, a lot of emotions in her that she has never been able to yeah. to unravel or yeah and you also mentioned that you had speech impediment was it also in primary school uh elementary school yeah so in uh, middle school just i started speaking english a lot better right so i pretty much by the by the end of uh, elementary school my english is completely fine i can speak it without any accent at all and then in middle school um, I, I guess I developed really bad anxiety because in middle school, the kids start getting mean, the kids start having their own opinion, and then the kids start having their own personalities, and that's when they start talking back, right? And they're, they're relentless when it comes to, once they find somebody to pick on, they pick on you for forever, pretty much. And I developed this uh, the anxiety, right? I had a bad anxiety, and that, I guess, turned into a stutter. And I had, so I think, how it happened was seventh grade, and I remember the exact moment it started happening, which is crazy, because seventh grade, I was giving a presentation in front of the class. And for some reason, I forgot what it was exactly, but I was reading off some cards, and then I also had to try to remember stuff off the top of my head, and I couldn't do it. And I kept on, uh, they had this weird tick all of a sudden started happening. I started snapping my fingers. So like before I would say something, I couldn't say it. So I would snap my fingers a few times to try to like remember what I was saying. And it never came out. And then pretty much from, and I didn't really develop that, that stutter then. It was more so um, ever since that day from seventh grade up until I guess like the end of eighth grade, maybe the beginning of ninth grade, I developed a stutter where... I think I was always thinking way too fast for my mouth to keep up. And uh, so what I would do is I would try to keep up with my mind and try to keep up with what I thought. My, I'm sorry. See, it happened right there. I would try to keep up with my thoughts and it would come out as a stutter. And sometimes it would just not come out at all. And kids, obviously kids started making fun of me because I had a stutter and it was, it was brutal. It was ruthless. Yeah. So the teachers didn't do anything. Yeah, so they, they didn't do anything. They noticed I had a stutter. And at no point or another did I actually even think to go to, to the teachers. You know, my, my mom obviously didn't know any better. She didn't know there was any kind of support system or even if there was one, you know, who was going to help me. And the, and the reason I know this is because I had a classmate who also had a stutter. He had a stutter way before I did. And uh, me and him, kind of funny, we're two, two kids and we stuttered at each other and we were like, we we're both like friends. <laughs> so we're like the two stuttering <laughs> kids. You know, it's funny now. I, I know it's, it's adorable now. It's funny now. But like thinking that like back then, it was, it was, I don't know how I made it through middle school without like being bullied, bullied all the time. But I, I got bullied, but not all the time. Can you give me an example how your schoolmates actually bullied you? Yes. Yeah, so... The, the best way to bully somebody who has a speech impediment is to copy them, right? So if I were to start stuttering, they would stutter with me and not in a nice way. They would stutter 
try to say things back to me in a stuttering way and you know pretend that I'm uh, in their words retarded because if I can't speak correctly that means I'm stupid right yeah, yeah. so so I went through through middle school that uh, the end of middle school that way I can't help myself connecting to the dots because you also mentioned your mom passed away when you were seventh grade mm -hmm. so was that also the time that your stutter started you know what that's uh well that's kind of mind-blowing that you just mentioned that but I guess so yeah because she was diagnosed in in seventh grade in my my seventh year, um, and that was when my my stutter started. So I guess maybe that somehow is intertwined with when that happened. So yeah, could be. Yeah, and I just imagine a like a thirteen fourteen year old kid might not be able mm -hmm. to express how much pressure or sadness or disappointment um, yeah. from life and from school. Tell me a little bit about your last memory of your mom. Well, she, you know, she had lung cancer, so uh, she smoked all the way up until her, her last day. And it's unfortunate because uh, anytime I think about my mom in her later years is just with her smoking. And it's, uh, it's not the, the, the image that you want um, of your parents or any, you know, your, either your mom or parent, really any relative that was a big part of your life, you know, just, um, she started smoking, you know, she had, she got lung cancer, started chemotherapy, and then she stopped smoking for a while. And then I guess she just decided that it wasn't worth it anymore. She started smoking again. And then that was, that's pretty much how I remember her just, just smoking all the time. And then she, faded away after that. Where were you when she passed away? So I was, uh, I was watching a movie. So we had a friend that came over and they were good friends with us. And he was nice enough to always like kind of watch after me. So this is a gentleman that we knew. And he would always watch after me because you know, we we're good friends with he was good friends with my mom and he liked to play catch with me and all that. And we like to, to always hang out. But we we're just watching a movie in the living room. And then um, my friend went to go and and check on my mom and he came out. He's like, you know, he just gave me the news and I called my family members uh, at, right at that very moment. And it's weird because when a family member dies, whether it be anybody, especially if they're, you're close to them, you would think that you would just feel all of this emotional, like really super emotional, like right away. But for, for some reason, you know, being 12 at the time, I, I didn't experience any kind of emotion. It was weird. Like my mom died and I knew it was coming. I knew she wasn't going to make it through it. But when she died, I just felt nothing. Right. Didn't feel, I didn't feel like I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel like I lost somebody I loved. I just felt numb and which is maybe a coping mechanism for the body, maybe for the mind. Yeah. And and it was weird because when my, my, aunt, my aunt came over and she, she asked me how I felt, I was like, I don't know. And I asked her this question. I was like, why am I not crying right now? And I was like, coming from a 12-year-old, like, if I heard that, I would have started crying. But like now, especially. But my, I asked that question to my aunt and she's like, you know, um, you don't have to cry. It's okay. And yeah, that's how it was. Wow. I appreciate the way that your aunt actually say that to you. Like mm -hmm. everyone processes um, emotions differently. And that's right. You don't have to cry. But I also wonder if you kind of suppress that 
sadness into the deepest part of your mind, and then it kind of shows up as um, stutter, or you just never talked about that. Yeah, and it could be, you know, just like with her not really showing that uh, forward love, uh, being forthward with the love for me, and showing any kind of uh, compassion towards me really all throughout my years up until she died. Uh, I just, I think that that's probably, it turned into uh, me being by myself, me getting into my own mind. And uh, at the end of it, I started having anxiety and pro probably started stuttering that way. And then when she passed, it just all kind of balled together. And I felt like all those years of uh, no emotion just kind of, I guess, incubated and just kind of sat there until she died. And I didn't know what to feel. Yeah. Can you tell me more about how you felt when you have anxiety? Like what actually happens to you? Yeah. So that's, it's so something. So when I was, when I started stuttering, I realized really early on that um, my heart would start racing. Right. I had, I was, even before we started doing our podcast today, I started, I was like, man, I have, I had a little bit of anxiety thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to start stuttering in the middle of all this. And thankfully I haven't. And it definitely helps that I'm doing this with you because you're a familiar voice and a familiar yeah. face. But uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of wells up into the center of my chest, right? If I feel like fear, um, the sense of unknowing, uh, if I'm worried about something, uh, my heart rate goes up. And then that turns into um, anxiety. And I guess in middle school, it turned to a stutter. And what I did and what I, how I coped with it was instead of, I guess, instead of speaking, I would slow down. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now is, is I, I slow down. I don't say anything. And if I know that I'm about to stutter, I just don't say anything at all. And I let, it, I let that thought pass. And then I start talking. And that's helped me a lot throughout my years. Like, and so in high school, I did that. I, I realized early on that, hey, I should probably not try to speak right away. It made it a lot easier for me to not stutter. It came out, obviously, every once in a while, but it definitely made it so it was easier for me to speak to, to my classmates and to my teachers without being a fool. And, you know, it's weird because I didn't have any kind of, um, any kind of, uh, I guess, uh, adult figure or some kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, counselor to yeah. help me through that yeah and no one knew no yeah nobody knew yeah you just yeah. kind of kept it for yourself and then that's it yep wow that must be hard because you kind of even even with a starter you figure your way out it's like mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna try not to speak for some time yeah and Wow. Yeah. Like yeah, I can I can feel that you have a a strong personality, but like in a very gentle way. Like you do have a very strong heart going all through the hardship of life. And then so then you mentioned that you have some family members in the States. So did mm -hmm. they come before you guys came? Yeah, so they're already here. By the time that my my mother had come to America. They were had already been in America probably for, I'd say, two or three years already. Um, so they lived in Texas during that time, and we just kind of came and lived with them. And uh, through the years, every time they would move somewhere, we'd kind of follow along. So they ended up in Colorado, and that's how actually we ended up in Colorado. And 
you also mentioned that you're probably one of the 10 Asian students in a high school. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that in your yeah. high school years in a predominantly white school. How was your experience? It was different. So uh, being poor and living in the, the worst parts of Colorado, not necessarily the worst, just the poor parts of Colorado, right? Uh, when I was in middle school, I went to a uh, middle school right in the middle of Denver in the poor community. And it was predominantly Hispanic and black, predominantly Hispanic. And so I grew up, you know, actually most of the schools I went to, they were predominantly Hispanic or black and black. And so I was around that all the time. I was very used to just seeing, uh, you know, like multicultural, multi-demographic, right? Um, so I was used to that. And then school was a lot easier down in, uh, in those parts of, um, the city and then when my mom passed away I moved in with my aunt right and uh, and where she lived was Highlands Ranch so you living in Highlands Ranch I, and us living in Highlands Ranch you know you know definitely well that uh, it is definitely suburban you know it is suburban America um, no noise going on there's not a lot going on in general and it's very quiet and also the school systems are a lot better yeah. And also the demographic is a lot be uh, different, not better, but different. So when I came here, I was just blown away, shocked at how many white students there were in my school. And I was like one of the few Asian students. And that was interesting. How did you make friends or? You know, like me being me, you know, I'm kind of, I'm always smiling. I have a relatively big personality. And that was actually during the, that was during the time that I started getting over my stutter um somehow i got through uh i started becoming very friendly with a lot of the uh, the students i don't know i just i have a very like friendly personality so it's, it's relatively easy for me to become friends with people but at the same time um there are definitely there are definitely people who noticed that i was asian and that i was not of the same color of them and even some of them would were, were very forthcoming with the way they felt about uh, just people of color, you know, regardless of Asian, Black, Hispanic, whatever it was. Um, some of them even like mentioned it to me, like how, how they, if it were up to them, they would, uh, uh, you know, they would they would want it the old way, to yeah. say the least, right? If you kind of catch what I'm trying to say, and and then you know, like I just kind of let that blow blow off my shoulder. I didn't really care much about it. I just went on with my life. Um, yeah, I wasn't as I wasn't bullied as much in high school, thankfully. Yeah. Because yeah. I became friends, I, I I got over my stutter, and that's when I kind of became my own person. Yeah, I want to dive deeper mm -hmm. um, a little bit in the experience that you said some of the white schoolmates said things like that. What did mm -hmm. they exactly say that you remembered? Sure. So definitely one of them. Uh, this wasn't pointed at me specifically, but one of them was, "If it were up to me." we would still have slaves. That was literally a thing that somebody said to me. So I can, and I can still remember the day that it happened too. I was sitting in science class and there were, you know, there's two, two jocks, ironically. Um, they played sports, they played football and they were just talking around, uh, talking. And I, I sat at their table. They weren't really mean to me. They were fine with me, but it's more so like, they were just talking. I was like, and I sat down and they just, they were talking. I, that's what I heard which kind of, 
it didn't really affect me the same way it did then as it does now. Like thinking about it, like, wow, what kind of, what kind of person says that, you know, yeah. who, how, how can it be that, that blatantly races uh, about a, a culture and a race that you don't really even know. Yeah. Especially at like the age of, you know, 14, mm. 15, like yeah. 13. And I also wonder how they got the notion of saying those things. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, their uprising, their upraising, their, wow. their, their parents. Um, I can't say well, how, how it was, but that has to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels right now when you're telling the story, it feels like a movie coming up to me. Like, mm-hmm. I thought I would only watch this on TV, but right. it actually happened. Yeah, it did. Wow. But then like your, your strategy is just to turn away and ignore them. Yeah. And just, I think a part of that was because I was the new kid in town and also because I was, you know, no, I was Asian. I was a different color from everybody else. I didn't want to stand out. I already stood out already, right. Being different color. And, and then I think if I brought more attention to myself, that's, that'd be the last of it. I don't want to be bullied. I was already bullied you know, in middle school, in elementary school. Last thing I need is some other people to start noticing who I am and how, how I act and how I speak. So I just kind of kept things to myself and I only spoke when I needed to. And how do you think about um, how you reacted then? And right now you're kind of reflecting right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, back then I just let it, like I said, it just, he, he said it, I was surprised and I went on with my life. I didn't think anything of it because I think I was still probably too too young in that age, you know, 13, 13 and 14 to really realize racism, how bad racism was. It's just, back then I just knew that people were white, people were black and people were mean, you know, and sometimes people were happy and that's about it. But now obviously with everything that's going on, uh, even before this, you know, I, it's, it's different. You know, I I would react totally different to that. I, I wouldn't probably put up with that just because that's, you know, not unacceptable. I think this is mind blowing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably tell it as a story, but still that kind of impact and influence. I, I just wonder how all these experience build up and make who you are right now. Mm-hmm. So like right now you're about to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder how these will shape your experience or what your expectation for yourself um, you know what, that's, that's to be, uh, obviously I'm not a dad yet, but I will be a dad and I don't know yet. You know, I, I know that my, my son will be growing up in a society where it's going to be very different. You know, I don't know, especially right now. Um, hopefully we can get past all this, this judgment, all this racism and all just, just get back to, or not get back, just be normal. Right. I don't, I don't know what that, what normal looks like. But I do want my son to grow up with the ethics and understanding that, hey, everybody is equal. And everybody means well to begin with until, until somebody teaches them otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's why your stories are that important. Because even from an outsider's point of view, I think here, especially in Colorado, well, I don't know about other states, but a lot of times in education, in a lot of different um, industries, when we talk about things, we don't really bring up Asian Americans' voices. Correct. And you, you just brought 
your story on to the table, right? Not mm-hmm. not to just hide it over under the table, but like you brought it up and people can hear your stories and understand more. Mm-hmm. And so my last few questions is around like, what were the support, support that you hoped you had then? And Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just think that, you know, obviously with growing up with, uh, with a parent uh, that I had and, you know, bless her heart, she didn't know any better, but just, you know, a, a figure, an adult figure um, that was understanding, you know, that was, uh, that wanted to help and wanted, to, wanted the best for me. And I wasn't sure if I actually had that. And it's, uh, it's hard thinking back to it because I probably could, could have had better grades in school, uh, made better friends, not have a stutter. But hey, you know, that's, that's, those are the things that I can't control. What I, what I can control is, you know, hopefully uh, provide better understanding for my son, for my kids, right? Hopefully that uh, I can be as understanding as I am now uh, with them that my, my mom wasn't with me, right? And uh, hopefully seek help for them when they do have that need rather than bottling it up or not, uh, not looking for help when they need it the most, right? And yeah. seek, seeking counseling of any sorts. Oh, so you did go to counseling? Oh, no, no, just seeking counseling now, now, you know, yeah. like, um, I've, you know, I've never gone through counseling. I wish I did, and especially <laughs> in my high school days. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't really a, uh, a thing that people promote or schools promoted. You might not be able to, because it's so expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, what, is, what was the turning point? Because it seems like you have overcome so many hardships, or suppressed, right? right. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. But like, was there a turning point? Um, probably junior, junior, senior year, really, in high school is, um, is when I really decided that I didn't want to be that person that my mother had raised me or people saw me as, you know, that, that Asian, the Asian kid who is just another Asian kid. You know, he's an Asian kid. He's, he doesn't belong with us, but I just wanted to be uh, different from that. I, I just kind of, I don't know. I, I was just myself. And for, for, how, like for how hard it was for me to grow up, I, I think I grew up with a pretty soft heart, uh, with a good understanding for people. And, you know, it's kind of surprising that I didn't have that stubbornness and have that anger towards everybody. Yeah. Um, now thinking back at how I was raised. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that for you. So like when you told me the story, I was surprised. I know that you were brought up in a single family house and, um, but like you have such a soft heart and your, your tone is so loving and caring for the youth at church. So I would, I would never have guessed that, that, <laughs> that you have walked all through these hardships and then become a great dad. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, yes. I will be. You know, I'm going to have have a lot of help with that, you know. But um it's it's been a struggle, you know. I haven't really told this story to everybody, but I'm not uncomfortable telling it to everybody. You know, I want people to know that hey, 
you know, just because you're poor, just because you don't, you don't speak English and just because uh, the other people treat you differently doesn't mean you can't be a good person later on in life. You know? Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, what would you say if someone has similar experience and still a teenager, what would mm -hmm. you say to them? Um, if you have a, you know, if your parents are understanding, um, and I hope you do, just go talk to them, you know. Uh, and if your parents aren't understanding and um, they're not as forthcoming with their love and their compassion for you, go seek, seek that uh, counseling. Seek your friends. If you have friends, just, you know, reach out to them. Um, really just, um, you have to talk about it. You have to talk to somebody. And I think that was the problem I had. I never talked to anybody, I'm sorry, anybody about the problems that I had. And that just kind of bottled up inside me. And so I guess later on, and uh, it never really came out. It never really exploded on anybody. It didn't, I didn't uh, yell at anybody. I didn't get upset at anybody about like, you know, my, uh, my, I guess my, uh, my upraising, but I should, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just go, go seek help if you can. And it's hard. It's yeah. hard because when you're uh, you know, middle school or in high school, you're kind of set with this mindset that you can do everything yourself and you should keep all your emotions to yourself, but you shouldn't. That, that's a great conclusion. Yeah, we shouldn't keep our emotions and feelings inside. We should talk about it and also tell the people or seek help saying that this is not okay how you treated me, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your wonderful stories. It's definitely heartfelt and wow. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't blow your mind too much. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I think this is very meaningful. Thank you for yeah. coming to the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. After my story, I thought a lot about the whole experience that he had and asked around to the educators around me to see if there are any support or system change after my generation. Uh, fortunately, if there are kids like him, um, they can actually reach out to school counselors uh, or their teachers. And um, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of support and resources that can be provided to kids like him. Hopefully, this episode is helpful for you. Thanks for listening to Chai with Ping. Let us hear your voices and stories. Please share this episode, like, and follow us on Instagram at Chai with Ping. You can also email us at chaiwithping at gmail.com. Till next time.